Good evening. I hope everyone is doing well this Sunday. We are in the third part of our series on emotions, and tonight we're going to be uh, talking about anger. Now, there are many different levels of anger and even uh, more various ways that people respond to anger. Uh, some people lash out violently. Some become verbally abusive uh, in their anger, and others tend to hide their anger and even uh, ignore it altogether. Uh, and neither one of these extremes are good. Uh, they're not healthy, and they're certainly not honoring uh, to God. Uh, I, in fact, I remember uh, here recently I read about a man in Virginia who felt like he was being uh, mistreated uh, by his local power company. And uh, with a particular bill that they were sending him, he felt it was unjustified. He debated and argued with them. Uh, both over the phone and in person quite a bit, but uh, to no avail, and he had to pay uh, the power, but he was just really frustrated and angered uh, at it. And so in his anger and in his defiance, he decided that he would pay uh, this bill that was about uh, $350, I believe it was, uh, and he decided he would go in person and he would pay, but he would pay with pennies, and he paid with over 29,000 pennies that he had gotten. He had to go to various banks, number of banks, uh, to exchange money for pennies, and then he loaded it up in two duffel bags uh, that I believe weigh a hundred, uh, weighed 170 uh, pounds, and then took them to uh, the utilities office. And there he handed them uh, his bill, and he said, "I'm here uh, to pay my bill and to pay every penny of it." Um, now, in our anger, we can be much like that man. Sometimes we can be mean and vindictive and short-sighted. Uh, this is something that we all deal with in some way, shape, form, or fashion. We may express it in different ways, but we all deal with it. And so whether we struggle with how to uh, handle our anger or whether or not we struggle with uh, responding to angry people in our lives, we all deal with this. And so uh, this evening, uh, I would like to try to look at three questions. Hopefully, we'll be able to get to all three of them. Uh, that, re, uh, that relate to the anger that we experience. And the three questions are this. When is it okay to be angry? How do I control my anger? And then how do I respond to someone with a bad temper? So when is it okay to be angry? When can I uh, be angry and be just in my anger? Um, how do I control my anger when I am angry? And how do I respond to the people in my life who they themselves have a bad temper? Now, we have a lot to cover, so we're just going to jump straight into it, and we're going to see how God's Word addresses uh, these three important questions on anger. Now, the first one, when is it okay uh, to be anger, uh, angry? Um, this may seem like a strange question for some, because some people grow up uh, feeling that it's never okay to be angry. Uh, for whatever reason, anger is always seen as something negative, something scary, and uh, maybe possibly something destructive, some kind of destructive emotion. Uh, but we need to understand that while anger isn't necessarily a pleasant emotion, it's not by itself bad or sinful. In fact, uh, we know that God gets angry on occasions. Um, we know that Jesus got angry. Uh, we know uh, that uh, when we see things like children being abused or, or um, uh, people lying to us, th these type of things anger us, and rightfully so. These things should anger us. And so there is a right, um, there are right times to be be angry. So the question we need to answer is not, is it okay to be angry? Obviously, it's okay to be angry or God wouldn't be angry. 
angry. Uh, the real question we need to ask is when is it okay to be angry? Now to figure out that, we need to consider uh, three basic principles that we find in scripture of what we in Christian circles call righteous anger. Um, righteousness being it, it's in a right standing with God. We are in a right standing with God and what we do is in a right standing with God. Uh, we can see these three principles worked out in one particular uh, time in Jesus' life. I think it illustrates well all three principles, and that's when Jesus cleared out the temple. This was a time when Jesus went into the main temple there in Jerusalem uh, to worship, and there he came across some things that made him very angry. And we see Jesus not only being angry, but responding uh, in a righteous way uh, to this emotion that he felt and how he responded to it. So let's go ahead and jump right into that passage. And we find it uh, in the Gospel of Matthew. We find it in a number of the Gospels, but we're going to be looking at the one in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 21. We begin in verse 12, and it says this. Then Jesus went into the temple of, of God and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of, of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, It is written, My house shall be, a, shall be called a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of thieves. Then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. All right, so the first uh, characteristic that we see here in Jesus and in just righteous anger to begin with is that anger should be based on actual sin and injustice. Anger should be based on actual sin and injustice. Now, by that, what I mean is it's not okay to be angry at personal preferences uh, not being met, at uh, people not rising to our expectations, or being angry at perceived uh, slights. In this passage that we see here, Jesus is not upset about any personal slight against him. In fact, he's upset because of the wrong that's being done to others. These money changers who are in the temple, they were sinning against God, and they were sinning against many of the impoverished people there in the community. They turned God's place of worship into a marketplace. And they were there, uh, while they were there, they were requiring the poor to exchange their regular money. The Roman currency was not allowed into the temple. And so they would exchange, they forced them, they, they required them to uh, exchange their regular money into temple money because that was, that was seen as being more righteous, more, more godly money. And so they would exchange the temple money, and then they would sell them, oftentimes defective animals, uh, animals that weren't uh, as pure as what the law of Moses uh, laid out. They were selling them these animals at steep markup prices. They were making a profit on these animals that they were selling. They were basically taking advantage of the poor uh, there in their community. This all disgusted and infuriated Jesus. So we see that his anger is based on actual sin particularly sin done to others. Now, let me just pause here for a moment because I mentioned earlier about uh, righteous anger is not based on perceived slight. Now, that uh, the reason why I want to pause there for a second is because that really can trip us up sometimes because um, I see this happening quite often. A perceived slight is when you believe someone has sinned uh, against you or done some kind of uh, injustice but in reality, you just don't have all the facts. From your perception, you perceive this as being a sin or you perceive this as being a slight against you or a slight against uh, other people. 
But in fact, all it means is that you may not have all the facts in that particular case. You may not be seeing it with the, the clearest uh, vantage point. It's, uh, it's a wrong done only because you are not looking at all the facts. Now, some may object to this because, again, admittedly so, we can't know all the facts. I completely agree that we don't know all the facts on almost any particular issue. But that's the point is that we should approach, when we get angry, when we feel that someone has done either us something wrong or someone else something wrong, done wrong to someone else, or there's some kind of injustice, before we just lash out in what we believe is righteous indignation or anger, we need to first make sure that we humble ourselves because we don't know all the facts. We don't know why they're acting the way they're acting. We don't know what's going on in that particular situation. Oftentimes we think we know. But in reality, we rarely know all the facts. And we can lash out and we can tear someone down so quickly without knowing all the facts and realize that we were angry at something we never should have been angry at. And so we need to be very humble and we need to seek as much information as we can before we begin to address what we perceive to be a wrong in someone else's life or a situation uh, that anchors us. This will go a long long way to controlling our anger, which we'll get to in just a little bit. But we need to first make sure that we're basing our anger on true, actual sin, either against us. That's okay. You can be angry when someone uh, lies to you and mistreats you. You can be angry about that, okay? Uh, when someone does something wrong to someone else, when you just see injustice in the world, it's perfectly fine to be angry at true injustice and sin, not perceived uh, slights and failed expectations. So uh, it's okay uh, to be angry when our anger is based on actual sin and injustice. The next thing I want us to see is that um, anger is okay when it motivates us to restore things, not destroy things. Okay. Anger is okay. And it's a good thing. It's a beneficial thing when we are moved to restore and rectify injustices and sin. But it's not okay when we use that anger to destroy others, to destroy uh, things around us. We lose our temper and we punch a hole in the wall or something like that. That is not godly anger. Okay. In this passage that we see with Jesus, when he drives out the money changers, it seems like Jesus is destroying things in his anger. After all, he's flipping over tables. He's running people out of the, out of the temple. But what perceives like uncontrolled anger on Jesus' part is not actually that at all. What he's actually doing is he is restoring the temple to a place of worship. Again, remember, they had brought in uh, the uh, the marketplace. They had brought in all this sort of stuff, and they were uh, uh, making it mandatory for exchanging of monies and all this sort of stuff. It became uh, a den of thieves, as Jesus calls it. He saw the injustice that was going on there, and he wanted to not destroy things, but he wanted to restore uh, the worship that was supposed to be going on there at the temple. Um, and so he was also restoring the temple to a place where anyone could come and worship, especially if they were poor and uh, down and out. A lot of people were being marginalized by the unjust marketing practices that were being done in the temple. And so Jesus not only wanted to restore the temple for God's sake to a place of worship, but he also wanted to restore the temple to a place where anyone and everyone could come, regardless of where they fell on the uh, economic scale, and be able to come and worship. And he was, was restoring uh, the people back to a right relationship with God. They had gotten away from God. They had allowed greed to seep into their hearts. And by, by uh, 
overturning the money tables and driving people out and pointing people's attention to the unjust practices, he was restoring their relationship with God. So you see, often in our anger, we tear down things. We hurt with our words or sometimes even with our fists. But godly anger, as in Jesus' case here, godly anger is anger that restores what is right, restores relationships, restores what is good. It seeks to restore all that God values and that we should value as well. It's not about getting even. It's not about being vindictive. It's about restoring what has been broken. Now, when you're angry, with your kids because they're not picking up their clothes and in your righteous, holy, justified anger at the mess that they've made of the house, I want to ask you a question. Do you, in your anger, bring about restoration and healing? Or do you leave a wake of destruction with your words and with the tone that you set for the house? When uh, you feel like your coworker is not pulling their fair share of work, do you address it? Uh, to bring about restoration into the office and workplace? Or do you address it so that you can give them a piece of your mind? For you, uh, uh, for all of us really, uh, anger needs to be righteous and it needs to be good. And in order for that to happen, we need to make sure that our anger is based on true, actual sin and justice. And we need to make sure that it motivates us to restore um, relationships and justice, not to destroy uh, things around us. And lastly, what I want us to see here in this passage from Jesus about when it's okay uh, for us to be anger, uh, angry, uh, we see in this passage in Jesus's life that in order for anger to be right and to be just, it needs to be rare and it needs to be brief. Anger should be rare and brief in our life. Throughout all the Gospels and with all the personal attacks uh, that Jesus experienced, this is one of the only, if not the only time that we see Jesus truly getting angry. Jesus was incredibly patient, willing to overlook and forgive nearly anything done against him, including being crucified on the cross. If you remember, when he was crucified, he prayed that God would forgive the people crucifying him. And yet here at the temple, he's angry and he, 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 um, he moves in his anger, not to destroy, but to bring about restoration. But we see that Jesus's anger is rare. And when it does happen, it's brief. Did you notice in that passage that he drives out the money changers? And in the next passage, it says that the lame and those who are sick and, and all those who needed healing came to him and received healing. I mean, I don't know if I've ever noticed it before, but when I was studying for this message here, I noticed here it is. Jesus acts out an angry uh, anger. And then the very next phrase is he's bringing healing. See, anger can bring about healing. Anger Anger is controllable, and Jesus was in full control of himself throughout all of this. He cleared out the temple, and then he began healing people. And so it was it was rare. We don't normally see Jesus acting out in anger. And then it was brief. Once it was done, it was done. And then he moved on with his ministry, bringing healing to those around him. That needs to be the case for each and every one of us. We don't need to be angry all that often. And when we are angry, it needs to be for the right reason and done in the right way. And then when it's done, it's done. And we need to move on from that and move on to healing and restoration. You know, uh, there is a time to be angry, but that time is not every day or even every week for that matter. It should be rare. When, when I come home, 
my family should be excited to see me, not wondering whether or not I'm going to come in and start yelling and carrying on because I'm angry either about something at work or something uh, on, as on the commute home or something that I see there. You know, the house isn't cleaned up, so I start ranting and raving. When I come home, my, my family should be excited about it, okay? People should be glad to see us, not running for cover when they see us. In fact, let me just share with you a wonderful passage, a uh, proverb from Scripture that really speaks to this. It comes from Proverbs uh, chapter 14, uh, verse 29. It says this, He who is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who is quick-tempered exalts folly or revels in foolishness. Okay, Jesus had great patience because he had great perspective on life and on people. People who are constantly angry about something show that they have no understanding or at least have a very skewed perspective on life. If you're getting angry at every little thing, then you are letting things get to you way too easily and you need to gain a better perspective on life. All right. Now, Winston Churchill used to uh, have a saying. He said that a person is as big and as strong as what makes him angry, uh, which should cause us all to pause and to consider. How strong am I then? What makes me angry and what does that say about my patience and how mature I am? What, how much of a, a, a solid, well-rounded perspective uh, do I have? What causes me to lose my temper? Uh, now, this should bring us to our next question that I want us to consider. We just saw, uh, when is it okay for me to be angry? Now, I want us to consider, how do I control my temper? Now, this is a really important question for most of us, whether you uh, spew your anger uh, out whenever you feel it or whether or not you feel like you need to ignore it and you're afraid to express your anger. Uh, most of us need to control our temper in more healthy ways. So I would like to just share with you four uh, guiding principles that we find in Scripture about controlling your temper. Now, the first thing that I want you to see is that if you want to control your temper, you need to get some space and you need to get some perspective. You need to get space and you need to get perspective. Notice what it says here in Psalm 4. Uh, it tells us, be angry and do not sin. Meditate within your heart on your bed and be still. Sometimes we can't get away from a situation or a person that's making us angry, but most of the time we can't even if it's just for a few minutes. Uh, anger often tempts us to respond immediately, but that's usually the worst thing that we can do. We don't want to respond in the moment when tempers are high and, and our, our, our perspective on things get clouded because of our emotions. Uh, this passage reminds us to get away, to calm down, and to gain some composure. I remember uh, early on, I used to consider myself a, a pretty patient person. And then I had kids. And I tell you, nothing challenges your patience quite like having kids. And when we had the boys uh, early on, as they began uh, walking and talking and all those uh, things that began giving them a little bit more uh, independence in their life, uh, I learned real quickly that uh, the boys' tempers were very different. Noah had just a short, short fuse. And when he was angry, he was angry and tempers were flaring. He wouldn't hear anything uh, that you were saying. He would thrash about, whine, fuss, cry, yell, I get red in the face. It was horrible. And I often would get so frustrated because when his temper would go up, my temper would go up and we would get, we would just go round and round. 
and I soon realized that I was feeding into his anger and his frustration. And the best thing for me was to disengage from that, to get away, even if it was just for a few moments, to calm down, gain my perspective, and come back. And oftentimes when I had greater perspective and came back with a more calm attitude, I would oftentimes just scoop him up in my arms and just calm him down. And then I was able to talk to him and I was able to to uh, to discipline him if it needed to be or, or to, to instruct him in what he had done wrong or whatever it may be. But when his temper was flaring and my temper was flaring, no one was getting through to one another. And it wasn't until we calmed down and approached it with more of a level head that things began to work themselves out. And we were, we were able to restore uh, that relationship. And so I just, I just encourage you, you need to get perspective. You need to get away. You need to calm down and you need to gain some perspective. Gain some perspective on yourself. What is going on in your heart? Why are you angry? Gain some perspective on that other person. What's causing them to be angry? And gain some perspective from God as well. These are some things that uh, we need to do if we're going to truly have some control over our temper. Now, real quickly, a couple other things that you need to do if you are going to gain some control over your temper. Not only do you need to gain some space and some perspective, sometimes we can't gain perspective because we're just so angry. And so we need to ask God uh, for some perspective. In fact, we find this in James chapter 1, verse 5. Uh, God's word tells us this. Now, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives to all generously and without criticizing and it will be given to him. Now, I love this passage because you know what? You know who needs wisdom? I need wisdom. I need to gain a perspective, a godly perspective that I don't have in and of myself. Sometimes I need to get away. I need to calm down. And I need to ask God, God, help me understand why am I so angry by this? God, why does this upset me so much? God, why did they do what they did? Why did they say what they said? Am I getting angry for nothing? Or is there truly something uh, not right about this that I am supposed to be angry about? And it says here, God has promised that if we humble ourselves and realize that we don't have all the answers and that we need his wisdom, and if we come to him and ask him for that wisdom, he will not criticize us, but it will give generously to those who seek it. Do you want to be wise? Do you want to be wise when it comes to your anger and your emotions and how you interact with those in your life? Then you need to seek that wisdom from God. Seek it from his word. Seek it from the Holy Spirit. Seek it from other godly individuals that he's placed in your life. Seek that wisdom regarding your situation. Some of the best things that I've ever done is uh, sometimes I'll want to respond to someone through an email and I'll stop and I'll pause. And I'll let my wife read it and gain her perspective, because she'll be looking at it in a different way than I'll be uh, looking at it. And she'll encourage me, you know what, you're right, but I would just word it a little bit differently here. Or maybe you shouldn't even email, maybe you should call, or maybe you shouldn't say anything, just give us some time. And she'll give me some wisdom and some perspective that I wouldn't have my own. We need to rally around us, people that we respect, that have wisdom, that can speak into our lives and help us gain that kind of wisdom. So we need to not only gain some space, and some perspective. We need to seek that wisdom from God if we're going to control our tempers, but also we need to listen and seek before we speak. We need to listen and seek before we speak. We also see this in James as well. He says this, if this you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness 
of God. So here we see that we don't need to always speak up. Just because you are angry about something, just because you have an emotion, does not mean that you need to, as some people say, vent your frustrations, vent your anger. Sometimes you need to listen before you speak up. You don't have all the answers. I don't have all the answers. More often than not, what we need to do is we need to stop and we need to listen. We need to ask questions. Why did you do what you did? Why did you say what you said? Why why are you uh, feeling the way you feel? And, and we need to ask some clarifying questions so we understand where the other person is coming from. They are not going to listen to us if we don't first listen to them. And so we need to be slow to anger and quick to listen to those around us if we're going to actually have, <clears throat> have some control over our emotions. Now, I want us to, in the time remaining, to look briefly at the last question I wanted us to consider, which is, how do I respond to someone with a bad temper? Now, this is an important part because even if we do all that we're supposed to do, even if we control our temper, we are bound to come across individuals who do not handle their anger in the most healthy ways. You're going to have sometimes your spouse uh, lash out at you. Maybe not because of anything you've done, but maybe just because of things that they got going on in their life. Maybe they're stressed. Maybe they're uh, uh, having some kind of uh, frustration or whatever it may be that you're unaware of, and they lash out at you. They take it out on you. Oftentimes, we take our anger out on those who are most uh, able, most willing to bear the brunt of our uh, anger, even though it's it's not, it shouldn't be directed at them. Oftentimes, we mistreat those who are the closest to us, who will will take it and often um, in, endure our, our frustrations. And so maybe you have that situation, or maybe it's someone at work that uh, just has a bad temper, a bad attitude, and you just happen to catch the, uh, the brunt of it. Uh, whatever it may be, how do you respond godly in those type of situations? How do you respond in the right way? Uh, now, the first thing I want us to see is that you be wise. Even if that other person is being foolish, you be wise and you set the tone. If you have to go and address that person, you do it gently. If that person comes to you and lashes out at you, you be wise and you try to, as much as you can, set the tone for that conversation or that interaction. I want to draw your attention to uh, Proverbs, uh, Proverbs 15, verse 1. It says this, A gentle answer turns away anger but a harsh word stirs up wrath. I love this because it reminds us that even though someone may be coming uh, um, in anger towards us, a gentle answer is very powerful. You know, someone can be uh, upset and screaming and yelling and all upset and calling names and just acting in an ungodly way, but you being cool, calm and collective and you being gentle with your responses and gracious you don't have to uh let you don't have to be a walking mat you don't have to let them just run all over you but just be gentle you can be firm and gentle but be gentle and kind looking out for them as well as for yourself that often kind times can turn away wrath. Oftentimes when people are angry, they're not really angry at us. They're angry at something else. Uh, we just happen to be there. And you being gentle can be a can go a long way to being a Christian witness and uh, guiding that person back to a, uh, a, a good relationship with you and with God and with those around them. So uh, not only do we need to uh, respond uh, gently, but also uh, we need to try to avoid people with bad 
uh, with a bad temper as much as possible. That's not always possible. There are times where maybe we're living with someone uh, with a bad temper, or maybe we work closely with someone with a bad temper. And so we can't always avoid those people uh, who lash out with their anger. But as much as possible, we need to try to uh, not associate as closely as we can with them. Because listen, there are people who are just going to make ungodly choices and they're going to act in ungodly ways. And even though you may be making the right choices, you can sometimes catch the shrapnel from their bad choices. Okay. And I tell this to my kids all the time, even though you're uh, living a godly life, if you're hanging around with people who are angry who are, or who are living sinfully, even though you're doing the right thing, you can catch a lot of the debris and the shrapnel from their bad decisions and their anger and their, their foolishness. And so we need to avoid those people as much as possible, not in a, uh, a way that we communicate that we're better than them, but just in a way to protect ourselves, to protect our Christian witness, to protect those uh, people that we love. We need to try to limit our exposure to them. We see this in Proverbs 22, verse 24. It says this, Don't make friends with an angry man, and don't be a companion to a hot-tempered man. All right. We also see in Proverbs 29, verse 9, it says this, If a wise man goes to court with a fool, there will be ranting and raving, but no resolution. Basically, what that's getting at is that uh, you can sit there and hang out with a, a, a quick-tempered person and someone who's angry and someone who lashes out. And you can even try to uh, talk with them. But sometimes there are people who you can talk to and they're not they're just not going to listen. They'll laugh at you. They'll get even more angry. And so those people are oftentimes just best avoided. And so it says even a wise man is going to avoid those fools who you take them to court, you, you, you try to work out the situation, and it just doesn't do anything. You just get angry yourself or you just make a bigger mess. And so just, if at all possible, avoid those people who are quick to get angry. And then last but uh, certainly not least, uh, I want to encourage you, overlook as much as possible. If you can, if someone does something against you, if you can overlook that, do it. Uh, Proverbs uh, 19, verse 11, we mentioned this verse before, but I want to say it again. A person's insight gives him patience, and his virtue is to overlook an offense. We talked about how Jesus was so patient and how he overlooked so much and still overlooks much, uh, many offenses in our own life. In the same way, if we're going to be Christ-like, we need to try to overlook as much as possible. Now, I want to be really clear here before we uh, wrap things up. When I say overlook as much as possible, I do not mean that you need to overlook everything. There are some things that you either cannot overlook or just should not overlook. And typically what I recommend people do is try to overlook what you can. And if you find that this uh, sin that's either against you or against other or whatever it may be uh, is still nagging in your heart and in your mind, and you can't uh, let it go, you can't overlook it, you prayed about it, and God uh, is still uh, just putting this burden on your heart, then you need to go and address it with that person. Be wise about it. Set a proper tone for the, uh, for the discussion. Make sure that you are gentle with your answers. Make sure that you're humble and you see God's wisdom and the wisdom of others. But if you can't overlook it, then you need to address it. Don't let some sin against you or against someone else um, poison your relationship with that person or uh, continue to allow that person to poison other relationships. If it's something you cannot overlook, then you need to address it, but do so with love and with grace. Okay. Now I hope that this has been a, 
uh, encouraging uh, study. It's a very important study. Talking about anger, this is something that many people deal with. I hope that it's been practical. I hope it's been a blessing. I hope that you'll go and throughout the rest of this week, meditate on some of these truths that we heard about. Even if you just take one and you try to apply it to your life to better control your anger, to better minister to other people who are angry, then uh, I'll be glad. I'm praying for each and every one of you. I hope you have a wonderful and blessed week. And uh, I look forward to when we meet back again soon. Take care and God bless.